So if you look in your bullet, in the title of the, uh, of the sermon today, uh, Paul versus the Zombies. I have to kind of apologize for the title. Um, it is a silly title, right? Um, I have to apologize for a couple of reasons. It, it, okay, so yes, yeah, a gimmick. Um, granted, um, I was going to have a nice, uh, a nice picture. You know, Chris talked last week about doing the uh, the graphic design um, for for the the church that the mother church of this of this one. I was going to try my hand at, at doing some graphic design. Paul versus the zombies. Um, it didn't turn out as well as you would, you would think. Um, maybe, maybe I'll put that up on the, on the website or something. We can uh, do that. Um, I, now, it, not only is it, is it kind of a gimmick, it's not even a terribly original gimmick. There's a, there's a guy named uh, David Hankey up in uh, Restoration Arlington in, in uh, Arlington, Virginia, um, who, who gave a talk a few years ago on, on the same chapter that was called uh, Zombies Are Not Cool. Um, so, so it's not even an entirely original gimmick. Um, Actually, as an aside, between that and, and a couple others, you know how like a few years ago the rage in, in music was doing mashups. You do like a, you know the words of one song and like the music of another. So you've got like you know the lyrics of Jay Z's Black Album over like the music of Beatles' White Album, um, and that's how you know we all know Danger Mouse um, uh, or Girl Talk. You take like you know a hundred different songs and, and mash them all together. This is kind of like that. This this sermon is uh, is is less essentially a, a mashup of, of a few. So this is really my shout-out to, to DJ Danger Mouse and, and Girl Talk. Might be the first shout-out they've gotten from the pulpit. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, I, and, and as far as the title goes, um, uh, it, it also sets you up for something that's a lot cooler than it's actually going to be. So, you know, I apologize for that. But, um, but let's run with that for a second. So, so Paul versus the zombies. What if I told you that we were going to spend the next, oh, you know, 20 minutes um, talking about reanimated corpses? The reaction is like, there's skepticism, there's some raised eyebrows, there's some, uh, um, there's some, uh, you know, probably some, some heady like, oh, we're talking about resurrection. And he's going to do metaphors to zombies, and it's yawn. And... Keep those reactions in mind, because that's, that's similar uh, to the reactions that the Corinthians might have, might have had when they read this chapter, right? Um, when they first read this, the, uh, you know, it, it's always risky for me to, to do anything that involves Greek when we've got, like, a room full of Duke Divinity students. Um, but, you know, you, you could also translate the, the phrase when we say resurrection from the dead or resurrection of the dead. Um, it could just as well be translated... Uh, reanimation of the corpses. It's, a, it's not a spiritual image, right? It's, a, it's kind of a gritty, earthy, kind of maybe mildly shocking um, image to, to, to draw. Um, and Paul's going to go on to say, like, it's, it's not just an image. Um, so with that, um, I think Kelsey is going to read the chapter. Or verses, rather. Read this because on. I could read this with my zombie accent, but <laughs> which would be kind of awesome. I don't have any. Um, now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? 
If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no gain, with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Let's, uh, let's pray before we get too much further. Um, God, please help us to, to hear your words. Help us to hear what you want to tell us. Um, help us to, to walk out of here knowing something about you, knowing something about us um, that we didn't know before. And um, amen. So... We need to get a couple things out of the way first. Uh, if, I was, if I was leading a home group on this, on this chapter, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd read the verses, and then I would ask something like, so, so does anything jump out at you about the passage? And like, if anyone was paying attention, um, the first thing you would all say is, baptized for the dead? <laughs> what? Um, and, and you would be right. Um, that is, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to ask, uh, you know, poll the, the um, div students earlier, but, but I, this ranks in like the top 10 most bizarre um, verses to, uh, in, in the New Testament, as, as far as I can tell. Um, so thanks to Chris for doing it for me to pick for John. Um, but the, uh, I mean, it's, it's weird. People sometimes say, I go, how can you know what the Bible says? Oh, how do you... Uh, you know, there's all these kinds of different interpretations. It's so hard to understand. And for the most part, that argument's overblown, right? For the most part, it's, it's fairly straightforward or with a little bit of background and context, it, it is quite clear. But that, that's weird. Um, one, one scholar estimated that, that there are somewhere around 200 different interpretations of that verse in print. Um, so we're not going to resolve it today, is, is, is basically what I'm saying. Um, we don't know exactly what Paul, Paul means by that. Um, the most obvious explanation, the most you know, straightforward, is that he's actually, the, the Corinthians are actually doing something like proxy baptism, where they're actually baptizing people on behalf of people who had already died. Um, now that has no support anywhere else. Like That's not something that anyone ever says to do. It's not something that is even consistent with, with other things in, in the Bible. It, when Jesus you know, died... Uh, on the cross, and he, and he said to the, the thief next to him, like we heard a few weeks ago, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. He did not say, just as long as someone is baptized in your place here, you know, in the next few days. Um, and if it's some kind of like proxy faith, um, then like none of Paul's missionary journeys make sense. Um, so it could be that, um, you know, commentators are really quick to point out that Paul's not condoning this as a good idea. It could be that Paul's picking his battles. Um, basically, in, he's using this as an example, and, and in pursuit of a much more important point that he's trying to make, he's not stopping and saying, like, by the way, this thing you're doing is, like, way bizarre. Um, it could also be that uh, this, the verse means something different. So people have, have tried to argue that it's, uh, it actually should be translated, uh, people baptized um, with, in, in view of their own death, um, or something like that. And they'll make technical arguments for the Greek. And, 
and we don't know. The good news is um, we, don't, we don't actually have to know um, because we can tell the, the purpose of it in Paul's argument, right? Like we, uh, we can tell what, um, what Paul's getting at what, like when he says this. He's saying, like, look, this thing that you're doing, whatever it is, it only makes sense if there is a resurrection from the dead. But yet you're saying, Corinthians, that at least some of you are saying that you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So you're, you're, con- you're contradicting yourself, right? This doesn't make sense. Um, and that's the, the larger point that he's made in this, in this whole uh, chapter, in the, in the verses before this. Um, he's been arguing for, for some time, and, and Chris talked about it last week. Uh, Corinthians, you, you say that you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead, but that really doesn't make sense. It's not consistent with what you have been taught. It's not consistent with things that you already do. Um, and, and it really has some serious implications for, for how you live and, and the, the, the faith that you say that you have. So, um, Paul's going to use a lot of different uh, arguments here. He's going to attack this from a lot of different angles. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's something that it's really important for the Corinthians to get right. Um, now, when he talks about resurrection from the dead, he, he really quickly uh, equates that with not believing in an afterlife at all. Uh, because uh, that, this resurrection from the dead that we're talking about, it, it's the afterlife that, that, it's what Jesus demonstrated, it's what he taught, it's what the early apostles uh, taught kind of from the beginning. And, and if we don't believe Jesus, then... We're kind of wasting our time. Um, so, last week Chris talked about um, talked about this. He talked about that you know that the resurrection is Christ embodied, and as early church taught it, it sounds like too sci-fi to be fiction. Uh, perfected body that will never die. We talked about some of the implications of how how we treat our bodies, how we treat the earth, how we treat each other. Um, and today, Paul here is talking about more of the effects of believing the right thing about death um, and the effects of not believing the right thing about death and, and what comes after it. So, summarize this, these six verses here. First, he's saying, this thing that you're doing, whatever it is, it doesn't make sense if there's no resurrection. Then he says, if, if there's no resurrection, we've been wasting our time, right? And we've been needlessly endangering ourselves. And lastly, um, believing that there's no resurrection is affecting how you live. So, this might seem like a lot of effort to go through for one particular point of doctrine, right? Like, and we are, as a group, um, we're kind of jaded to, well, at least we're, we're hesitant, we're, we're guarded to like, get really gung-ho about particular points of doctrine. That's not, that's not, something we, we do a lot. Um, it's not something that we are, are really comfortable with, I think. Um, partly because we, we see a lot of people who do get really fired up about you know, particular points that, that either are kind of silly, um, or people who get really fired up and then do really stupid or terrible things um, in the name of, of, that, of that zeal. If you, uh, if you Google uh, church split, and scroll through the first couple of pages of results, you'll get some really entertaining reasons why um, uh, examples of people getting really fired up and then 
deciding that they can no longer be part of the same body because they, you know, this thing that they're doing is so wrong. I have no way to like actually verify any of these. A lot of them have been handed down um, as sermon illustrations for so long that there's there's really no way to tell. But but some of the the examples are, are a number of splits. For example, on um, the color of the church carpet. Um, one church uh, split over a piano bench, whether it should be in the sanctuary or not um, during the service. Um, uh, the spelling of the word hallelujah, um, whether to, to uh, pronounce the Hebrew letter as, as wow or vav, um, whether the offering is before or after the sermon, uh, whether to have flowers in the sanctuary or not, um, whether it was a violation of the Sabbath to check your email on Sunday. Um, all good, you know, examples of, of people, places where people are getting really fired up about things that probably not worth um, all of that. But at some um, level, um, I mean, it's, it's funny, right? But I mean, it's kind of like disturbing too, right? Um, we, we, we don't want to be those people. Um, we don't want to be a sermon illustration, like, you know, a generation from now. Um, and on some level, we... I think we all want to be, uh, I think we all, all dream of being fired up about something that matters, right? Like we want to be like, like devoted, like all devoted to something that's really important, something that's helping people, something, we want to be like living lives that are just, you know, sacrificially giving to something that, that counts, right? Like cutting edge and radical and risk taking, and not cautious and prudent and secure, and not everything we think of when we say like middle class America. Is that just me? Maybe I don't. Um, there's another side to us, right? That that is not that, right? There's another side to us that's, uh, you know, we're a little less proud of that. You know, we're all about being secure and and uh, fame and fortune and and these things that that perhaps are not as uh, not as noble sounding. Um, but I think most, most of us have had those moments, right, where, where we, we dream of spending our lives in the service of some, some great cause, right? Um, Daniel Pink, a business author, uh, like New York Times bestseller, the kind of, kind of guy who writes like motivational and business books, um, he wrote a book a little while ago called Drive, and he, uh, he said that, that today, it, like the knowledge workers, the, the, the kind of white collar workers today, um, are actually motivated more than anything else by uh, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And he defines purpose as the yearning to do what we do in the service of something larger than ourselves. And he argues that that is actually way more important for workers as a whole than things like uh, security or salary. Um, and that's not, he's not a Christian author, he's not writing in a Christian context at all. Um, that's just general. I think that that's a, a desire that God has, has, has given us. We, we want to be giving ourselves for something big, um, something that counts. So the Apostle Paul kind of references this. He Paul was like exploding with purpose, right? He was oozing purpose. His, his life reads like a whole series of thrillers or action movies. He's 
like Fast and Furious 1 through 12 or, or whatever. He says in verse 30, he's in danger every hour. That's, uh, it's like hyperbole, but barely. Um, I face death every day. He goes on to talk about facing wild beasts in Ephesus. Now, as an aside, as far as we can tell, that's actually a metaphor. He didn't actually face like wild beasts in like a gladiator ring in Ephesus, which, I mean, I was getting kind of excited about like the image of like, you know, Paul's head and like a little bookish receding hairline, Paul on like a gladiator from 300's body, right? Apparently not so much. Um, uh, that, that apparently was, was not uncommon as, as a metaphor, but in other places he, he lists, you know, specific things that he has done and, 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 and literally fighting wild beasts in a, in a ring hasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't listed. Um, he did, you know, in, in the second, uh, second letter to the Corinthians, he, he did uh, list things that he, he had done. He said, I'm, I'm often in danger of death. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false believers. I've labored and I've toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Now, why? Um, and because he, he loves the people he's serving that much, right? Like he, this is a life lived as like the logical conclusion of radical love. Now, what does that have to do with zombies? I mean, not a whole lot. Um, turns out, like George Romero you know, of the, of the uh, Night of the Living Dead, not a prophet. Um, Walking Dead is probably not a foreshadowing of the real end times, um, which is good because I... I don't, I never was, was uh, I do not really watch The Walking Dead, but I was originally, uh, last night I was going through to, to make some slides and I was going to have, you know, clever slides to, to illustrate points and, and I got caught up uh, looking at, at pictures from The Walking Dead. People who watch that, how, how do you do it? Like, I was disturbed just like flipping through like Google images. Um, I apparently, another reason to apologize for the title, I apparently am too weak to actually handle zombies. Um, but, uh, Sorry, um, but that is not, uh, you know, as far as you know, that is not, that is not the end times. Um, but there was an actual event 2,000 years ago where it's claimed that a man came back from the dead. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't much like a zombie, a zombie, you know, less than human. Um, he, was, he was more than human, right? He was, he was, he was new and improved. Paul says that that, that event either happened or it didn't. If that happened, then this man, Jesus, was the first fruits. He was the first among many siblings. Um, he, was, he was a promise of what is to come for us. If it didn't happen, then the apostles were lying. Um, then they each lived lives of sacrifice and loss um, for, for something that was, that was false. Um, the promises that Jesus made about about the joy to come, about this delayed gratification, um, I mean, they're not, they're not true. Um, and Paul himself lived a life of danger and sacrifice, like he's saying here, um, for, for nothing. He says, if I've gone through all of this with human hopes, what have I gained? Well, he's, he's gained some scars and a, a drastically shorter life expectancy. 
Um, a few verses earlier, before this, he says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life, in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. Um, he lived like he believed in the resurrection, right? Um, so if we were to to live out that, that dream, when, when, we, when we dream of being part of something big, of being sold for something big, if we were to do that, um, and do that like, like Paul did, we would be doing it as, uh, you know, whether or not there are shipwrecks and stonings, um, that's what would drive us, right? Believing that this is true. Now Paul's pragmatic. Um, here in, the, in the middle, he says, look, in the inverse, if this is not true, if the dead are not raised, um, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, right? In other words, like without hope of resurrection and everlasting joy in Christ, um, we ought to treat life as, as a place to, to squeeze out everything you can and, and to, to have as little risk as you can because this is all, all there is. Um, and it just makes sense. Um, if this were writing us for, for us today, we might say, like, if the dead are not raised, there are better ways to send Sunday morning. Like, I hear Foster's has a really nice brunch. Um, so, if Christ is raised, then trusting him means that I will be raised with him, right? And then this life is just a prelude. It's like a first act. Um, and there's an eternal life after that with Christ and ever-increasing joy and if that's true, then the life that Paul's living, the life that he's describing, isn't crazy. It actually, it's radical, it's risky, it's sacrificial, and it makes all the sense in the world. So I think that's why Paul goes on to with what might seem like a non sequitur at the end of this, at this passage. He's been talking about resurrection and about particular points of doctrine. And then he kind of, he goes right to, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. It's apparently a quote from a, a Greek play that, that had kind of reached common um, vernacular at the time. Um, like, where, what are we talking about? He's, he's talking about resurrection and doctrine. Now he's talking about character and then, and then stop sinning and then ignorance of God. Sounds like he's jumping all over the place. Um, I think for Paul there's a natural connection. I think he knows that, that, that what you believe is going to impact how you live, right? Um, like, he lives the way he does because he believes in the resurrection from the dead. And, and sometimes, you know... It, you have to look at like the the things that you actually do to realize what it is you actually believe versus what you say you believe, right? The the actual actions that you act you take, um, your your character, and he uses the word um, sin there, uh, which and we t I talked a couple months ago, and I talked about a friend of mine who uh, defines sin as looking for happiness where no ultimate happiness can be found, uh, and I think that applies here too. Um, if, if the resurrection is true and that means ultimate joy in Christ, then that's where ultimate happiness is and, and, and your actions point towards that. And if that's not true, um, well, if you don't believe that, then your actions are going to be something different. The, the, the word that we, you know, uh, sin that, that has so much baggage for us, I mean, literally, it's missing the mark. It's, it's, it's you see, this is true, but you're acting like this is true. Um, and that's, and that's all that means. Jesus talked about this quite a lot. It's not just a Paul thing. Um, he gave a more uh, everyday, kind of less dramatic example of this in, in Luke 14. Um, he said, when you give a, blank, a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, 
invite the blind, and you will be blessed. Because although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So saying, if you believe that your joy is in the resurrection, and that will make up for all of these losses and self-denials and sacrifices, then you're going to love people without a view for what you can get out of it here. Um, and, and if you don't, then, then re, you avoid risk and danger and discomfort, right? That, it just makes sense. Um, so your love is, is tame and bland and weak and, and different. Um, I think we all, you know, I think we all have to have this balance of being like really gung-ho and, and risking being really sticklers for particular, you know, points of, of, of doctrine, particular things, versus being, you know, just going for everything is fine. Um, I think this passage is, is saying um, some, there are some things that matter. Like there are some, believing some things matters. Um, and, and what you believe about the resurrection matters. Now, I think there are a few things we can take away from, um, from this. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, I'm really disappointed that there's not more zombies. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, um, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe all that. Like that, this sounds kind of far-fetched. Um, or maybe like, okay, I can buy afterlife. I can buy that there's something better out there. But like this whole, like someone actually came back from the dead. I'm not sure about that. Um, and that's a perfectly fine, perfectly honest place to be. Uh, for you, I would suggest as as thing to walk away with, um, don't dodge that question, right? Because like, how you answer that question, implicitly or explicitly, uh, is going to dictate how you live the rest of your life. That that really, really matters. If Paul, if what Paul's saying in this in this passage and in the wider chapter is is right, like that is really the most important question you're going to answer. Um, so don't, don't dodge that. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, uh, yeah, I, believe, I believe that. I believe in this, in this resurrection thing. Um, I believe that, that what Jesus said here is true. But to be honest, I'm kind of like what, what Lee said earlier. My life, you know, so a lot of times looks more like the counterexample. The let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Right? Um, often, that's people in, in my phase of life, in the like, post-college, like settled or or semi-settled kind of life where we kind of, kind of settle into normal. Um, that's, so that's where I find myself more, more often than not. And, I, and for us, I'd suggest the takeaway here is if you really believe the resurrection, if you believe that, that, this, is, that this is true, that, that that is, in fact, the, the end for us, um, then, then live like it's true. And if, if particular things have come up, um, or, or in a minute when we, we have some time of silent prayer, if, if there are things in particular that are, are more like let's eat and drink and for tomorrow we die, then, then the inverse, then, um, then don't dodge that. Don't, like, don't ignore that, right? Um, because what you really believe here matters. Um, 
Don't, don't settle into the, like, the comfortable semi-belief. And maybe you're hearing this inside and you're thinking, like, I believe that. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm living like it's true best I know how. Um, and for you, I think that this is encouragement, right? Because Paul said, I did it. It's worth whatever it costs. All of the things that I've, I've said that I've gone through. And um, all the places that it's, that it's led me. And, Paul, and just as Paul is, is encouraging the Corinthians, right, uh, in this letter, um, see if there's, if there's people that you can encourage in, in being like that. Um, maybe, maybe people in this room, um, a lot of us could use, could use the encouragement in that. Um, and lastly, of course, I mean, anytime we're, we're talking about this, we're talking about, about what we do, about, about faith, about, about make sure to believe right, um, it risks coming off as really legalistic. It's, e- it's easy to walk out saying, I need to do better. Um, and that's not it, right? Like, th- th- there's, there's always a tension between what we do and what, and what God does. Um, in, in Philippians, he even says, like, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. What? For it's God who is work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It, there's always a tension there. And remember that, that in all of this, Paul said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It's at work in you, right? Now, let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done, what you've, what you've done in the past, God, for, for sending your son, for raising him from the dead. Help us to believe that it's true. Help us to know, know if that's true. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that the same spirit is, is in us, that, that you, are, you are working in us to, to begin making all things new, that this, this, this life that you've promised starts now. And help us to believe that that's true. And help us, help, thank you for what, what you will do, what you've promised to do in, in making all things new in resurrection. God, thank you. And help us to, to know and to believe that that is true. And amen.